0: Uh, This morning, we have the great privilege of, to me, one of the the great leaders in our our area for a long, long time. And then took a successful thing that they were a part of and said, we're going to leave that and go into the unknown of what God has for us. And uh, went from massive, massive ministries and groups and and church and all that and went and started and planted a church at the Urging of the Holy Spirit in Denver, Colorado, 10 years ago roughly, the Pearl Church. And uh, now it's a thriving church in the middle of that city and that state and is a, a beacon of hope for many, many hundreds of people reaching beyond them. And Doug and Donna have just been a great encouragement for Shanda and I, for the church. And many of the things that are happening over the last number of years are because of, of their impact in our personal lives and we really honor them and I love you to just jump to your feet one more time and honor Doug as he comes and shares the word this morning go okay stay, stay standing just for a moment I remember my 40th birthday I do it was a, it was a great year and uh I would like all of you to just clap and tell your pastor happy birthday one more time. Tell him how much you love him. He's a great man. Come on, church. You can do a little better than that. All right. Well, you all look very beautiful today. Amen. Uh, what, a, uh, what a great weekend we've had so far. We had a, a great Friday night with the leadership team. Yesterday, we went probably half the day with, uh, with the leaders and the other pastors from the city. Absolutely phenomenal, and uh, how many of you just know God's good? God is good. God is good. I, uh, in our church, we're in the middle of 21 days. Sorry, I'm losing my voice already. The pastor's working me so hard, I'm going through puberty again up here, right in front before your very eyes, um, although he's the one growing a beard now. I like the beard, by the way. I like that. I'm liking the beard. I'm liking the beard. I do. Uh, okay, don't don't fight about it right now. We're in church, pastors. But I love, I like the beard. That's my vote. That's my vote. We're in the middle of 21 days of prayer and fasting. <laughs> and uh, oh, I don't know. Uh, I'm not really. I'm 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 not the best faster in the world. You know, I I, I tend to get a little grumpy uh, sometimes, and I I work through it. But I believe that believe that God's moving. It's hard. It's hard to fast when you're traveling because. You want to have fellowship and you want to have time with everybody. I was so convinced that I was going to fast to at some level, Daniel fast all the way through this weekend. I was so convinced. Uh, and then I got to the airport. I literally were getting ready to get on the plane. And I told my wife and one of our pastors, I said, look, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hang on. I'm gonna fight through. I ordered a salad at the airport, it had a couple little pieces of chicken on it. I, I bound them in the name of the Lord away from my body. One of them slipped through. It was an attack. And uh, got, got on the plane, landed in, in uh, Vancouver, got off, got our luggage, and uh, they went off to, to do some stuff right there as we we're, were leaving the airport. And when they came back, they found me in the airport with a sour cream glazed uh, old-fashioned donut from uh, Tim Hortons. Right. It was so good. See, some people would say, some, pe- some people would say that I gave up. I call that breakthrough, ladies and gentlemen. I had the I had the breakthrough. There was no need to fast anymore. I felt it It was over. Something shifted. The Lord said, "That's it." I said, "I hear you, Lord. I hear you." And um, it's it's been a, a glorious uh, it's been a glorious forty eight hours of 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 grace. And experiencing what Peter went through when he had the vision of all the different foods coming down from heaven, it's been absolutely phenomenal. And uh, yeah, I felt the breakthrough there. It was really good. Uh, I I have a couple of people with me today I just want to introduce you to uh, quickly here. First of all, um, just let me introduce you to my daughter if you haven't met her, but my wife Donna and my daughter Kaylee. Uh, Kaylee is 20 years old. She is... Um, at the university there in Colorado. She's also on staff part-time at the church. Studying, she's studying music business, which is a new degree in the world today where you can do a business degree based around an industry, a specific industry. So that's what, what Kaylee's doing. She's doing a phenomenal job. Donna and Kaylee, will, will you please stand and, and uh, just say hello? And uh, <laughs> I also have, I also have my operations pastor here. Now, now, uh, Tasha Garza is an interesting addition to our team. Like, we were praying and fasting for someone like Tasha for a long time. We actually stole her from the Denver Nuggets and the Colorado Avalanche. She was one of the HR directors that, 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 that led that whole $15 billion industry with the Kroenke family. Her, her office was right across the hall from the CEO from the Kroenke family. And uh, God spoke to her that there was a change coming in her life she actually walked into church one day and she said, I I quit my job. And I thought to myself, I would have given you more pastoral insight into that. How'd you, because I'm just thinking, I'm thinking the tithe, that's all I care about is the tithe. (laughs) What do I care? What do I care? Where'd the tithe go? anyway, so she walks in, she walks in, she said, I quit my job. And uh, she began to volunteer for the church. And for nine months every day, like it was a full-time job without any expectation, of working for us, she, um, she left the Denver Nuggets, left the Colorado Avalanche and the, and the Mammoth and all the teams there, and uh, she worked and turned our systems and our processes around in such a way that it had a, an, in, an incredible impact on our church. A lot of the growth that we're experiencing right now is, uh, is because of, of this young lady, one of, the, one of the top young professionals in the city of Denver. And um, I just want to say thank you, Tasha, for the last year of serving. Will you please stand and and say hello to everybody? No, stay standing. Now sit down. Okay. Thank you. You guys are amazing. (laughs) So many introductions. I know there's... there's, uh, you know, I've got my good friends, Andrew and Taviano, Orlando, that are here, and they've been around this church quite a bit, lived down in, down near Bellingham and have pastored in the area and stuff, but I just want to say thank you for being here today. I love you guys. Thanks for coming up, and I'm going to do something that I Give, give them an applause that makes them secure and not insecure. Just go ahead and just, Insecurity, insecurity in the church, insecurity in the life of a pastor really comes back to the root issue of the level of applause that take place in public. public. The loss of public applause can really do uh, m- several decades of, of damage uh, to a leader. And so I want to thank you for that he- moment of healing for, for them. Um, and I also have, I will preach the Bible. I have one. I brought it today. I brought it with me and everything. And there's somebody highlighted in it. It wasn't me. Um, uh, I, I just want to I I say hello to one other couple that's here today. Uh, my wife's uncle uh, Don and, uh, and Jan Wager are here today. They came over just to hear if I, if I really preach or not. They, 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 they're not sure about me still. They've been wondering for 23 years now. And, uh, but they're here, uh, an incredible couple. Uh, his brother, my father-in-law, is actually preaching at the church this morning in Denver, Colorado. Uh, Dawn is a wonderful physician, has been in the area for many years and worked with some of the sports teams. John, they're they're amazing. I want to say hello to my aunt and uncle today. And wherever you are, I know you're on my right somewhere, but there's a light, uh, like a heavenly beam in my eye, and I have no idea where you are. But Uncle Dan and Aunt Jan, Jan, Aunt John, Aunt Jan, will you stand wherever you may be in the service? (laughs) Uncle Dawn and Auntie Jan. Now, once again, there we go. See how secure you're making them feel right now? And I'm sure that he did not enjoy that, but that's okay. I have the microphone. How many of you love Jesus today? Okay. All right. So for the next few minutes, and I promise to end late, what will happen is that um, uh, in, our, in our church right now, we're in a season of prayer and fasting. Uh, in January and February, uh, our goal this year, our thought, our prayer this year is we want to really minister to people. Now, there's different kinds of messages you have in the kingdom. You can preach about the church. How many of you believe in the local church? I absolutely believe in the local church. I believe that the local church right now is probably, I would say the theology of the local church is more important right now than it's ever been in our in our modern history. Because there are so many different kinds of philosophies and, and theologies right now about the local church. But what God is doing is God is building growing healthy churches. It's a really big deal. You can also preach on a subject like, like worship or we we've preached on youth ministry and Um, You know, there's different ways that you can address a congregation and speak. But then there are times, at least for us in our house, where we've really been trying to minister directly into the lives of people at 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 a little deeper level because we've been praying and fasting. So we've been praying and we've been fasting that people would actually experience freedom in their life. Now, freedom in Scripture, without a doubt, is one of the most important subjects in, in scripture, in New Testament theology. Uh, the New Testament sets the stage for freedom and what it is. So we've been preaching a lot about freedom. And this morning, for the next few minutes, I want to talk about a little aspect of freedom that we find in a story in the book of Acts, and Acts chapter 12. And I know that you've, you've heard most of these stories. This is one of the two famous prison stories. One of them has to do with Paul and Silas. How many of you remember Paul and Silas? Remember Paul and Silas? We used to do Paul and Silas prayer meetings in our youth ministry where we would lock kids in a room and then they would pray all night long, right? And the temptation was to leave them locked in the room and leave, but we never did that. We stayed right there with them to, to organize it, but we'd pray all night long. The other one is with Peter, the apostle Peter. Now in Acts chapter 12, Acts chapter 12 is a very interesting portion of the narrative in Acts because it's the peak or it's the, It's the beginning of the widespread persecution of Christians. Stephen has already been martyred. He's gone. He looked up into heaven, saw saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God, which meant that he was equal with God and the Pharisees and and the people standing around. They thought that was heresy, so they buried him halfway into the ground. They stoned him and they killed him. And right there next to him was was a young boy, a middle school boy, Uh, named Saul and they went over and handed him their coats so that they could take out their rage on, on this man, Stephen, and of course, Saul then never forgot what he saw. He actually grew up to become Paul and wrote two-thirds of the Bible that we read every day. How many of you know the work of God that starts in people? Sometimes it takes decades to come out, but once Jesus has got a seed in you, something's growing. You can't deny it, and things begin to change, right? So this man becomes, he becomes a great man, and the book of Acts parallels a lot of his life. When you get into Acts chapter 12, Stephen is gone. God's working on Paul somewhere. Acts chapter 11, the church goes from being a Jewish church to a church for every tongue and tribe. In Acts chapter 11, the place just explodes in Antioch. And it was in Antioch that people first that were called Christians because there were so many people getting saved from so many different ethnic groups that they could no longer identify somebody by their ethnic group in Acts chapter 11. And so they were coming out from behind their walls. They didn't even speak the same language, but they're meeting in the courtyards and people were saying, who are those people? And they're like, I have no idea because none of them speak the same language, but they all started speaking in, in tongues and that's the same language. And so God began to move and they called them Christians. So it was the first time in history where the church were called Christians based on the God they serve and not the nation that they come from. How many of you believe in multi-generational, multi-ethnic, multicultural church? All right, so now, in Acts chapter 11, people are starting to get upset. People are being killed. People are being martyred. People are experiencing things that they'd never experienced before. And the government under King Herod, he was martyring Christians, putting them in prison, for no other reason except that it made the Jews happy. It was one of the only uh, persecutions in in, in history that was perpetrated on Christianity just because somebody wanted to feel good. So King Herod, uh, he goes and finds the apostle James and he kills James. Says that he's putting them in prison all all over the place because people liked it when he did that. James was the first martyr. He was the first apostle to be martyred. He was a great man of God. Herod goes, wow, if they like James, the fact that I killed James, how much are they going to like me if I can put Peter in jail? So he goes and finds the apostle Peter, and he puts Peter in prison for no other reason than to make other people happy. But there is something that you have to understand, that if you're going to put the apostles in prison, you better be prepared for some kind of spiritual uh, reaction. Jesus set the stage because when they put Jesus in the grave, there was an earthquake. How many of you remember the earthquake? Now look, you can see this all over the Bible. If you're going to put the apostles in prison, you better be ready for something to happen. So they they grab him and they they put him under guard and 16 guards and two more guards and two sets of chains because if you're going to put an apostle in prison, you better be prepared for people's limbs to start growing back. Come on, some of you get your hair back. I'm telling you, (laughs) you, you put... You put, that's right, that's why you're going the beard, it came from here to here. Um, but the, uh, the uh, if you're going to put an apostle in prison, you have to be prepared for something to happen, and everyone knows it. And so what happens is, is the government under Herod, it becomes a standoff between Herod and Jesus. So spiritually, Herod is thinking, God can't move if I put chains on him. God can't move if I put him in between two soldiers, one on each side, keeping a close eye on him. God can't move. And if that's not enough, I'm going to put 16 more soldiers. I mean, how many soldiers do you need for one guy? I'm going to put 16 soldiers, four soldiers to watch over him through each watch of the night. Because if I put 16 soldiers on him, God can't move. If I put him in the back of the prison, God can't move. If I put, if I I chain him to a couple of big burly guards, God can't move because he's chained. How many of you know God can move anytime God wants to move? And the deeper the prison, the greater the testimony. So I think that Jesus was just watching Peter. You'll notice Peter didn't even fight. He didn't even fight back. They grab Peter, they put him in the back of the prison, they put chains on him, they got 16 guards plus two, everybody's standing outside, Jesus is just watching, Peter's just going, well, I'm either going to heaven or this is going to be really exciting. They put him in the back, there's nothing that you can do at all to stop the work of God. Now, freedom is very important because this is one of the pictures that we get in the Bible of freedom. Freedom is the language of heaven. Freedom is the language of the New Testament. Freedom is the language of parents. Freedom is the language of grandparents. Freedom is the language of the church in any community. Understanding what freedom is and where it comes from and how it works can literally change the atmosphere of a city and the culture of a church. Because when when you learn that in life, at a certain point, we're supposed to learn how to manage our freedom and not our chains. Not our mediocrity. Could you imagine if we spent our time trying to figure out how to manage our freedom? See, many people never get to this level. I mean, what if you had a testimony this morning? That was awesome. What if people were just free everywhere? Just getting free all the time. And and there was no room for their freedom in the service. But I want a video, Pastor Craig. And I want a video. What if there's too many testimonies for videos? What if there's too many emails coming in? What if Pastor Craig has to hire somebody just to manage the freedom? What's your title? I'm the freedom pastor. What do you do? I try to find places for people to testify. And it's a really stressful job because I don't don't have enough room in the service. So we need to have more services. Because too many people are getting saved and too many people are experiencing freedom. Freedom is the language of heaven. Freedom is what happens when a a marriage gets a breakthrough. Freedom is what happens when mom and dad send their kid to a youth camp, and the kid's in the youth camp, and the kid has a breakthrough and comes home, and and he's testifying about what God did in his life. Mom and dad have experienced that. Now, what's interesting about this story is that the church played a very specific role. This is the only time in Scripture where we see the church actually in prayer for another person's freedom. And you need to understand that there's a role that the church plays in freedom. And that's why I love what we were praying for today. And, you know, we, we've got these people up here and they've got some needs and we're, we're praying for them. Because the Bible says that they were praying for Peter. They were talking to God for Peter. So what I want to do is I'm going to read through a couple of verses. We're just going to jump through this and we'll be done. But how many of you love Jesus this morning? Acts chapter 12, verse 4, after arresting him, they put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of soldiers, uh, four soldiers each. And Herod intended him to bring him out after the Passover. So here he is. He's He's got 16 soldiers plus the two that are chained to him. And there's this idea that if a person is chained, that there's no way that they can get away. Any prison in Scripture that you find will have three elements to it. They'll have chains, guards, and gates. And you'll see all the chains and the guards and gates as we go along here. And so Peter was kept in prison, but the church, everyone say about the church, was earnestly praying to God for him. So here we have this perfect picture of what intercession is, where somebody's going through something over here, and and, uh, the church is in the middle, And God's over here, and we're pulling people together. We're trying to bring the two together. We're standing between two things, and we are praying and asking God to do something powerful. Um, there There is a principle that says that when the church prays, that things begin to happen. And the night before Herod was to bring him to jail, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, and his arms were bound between... Uh, two chains, and the the guards were standing at the entrance. And so here he is. Peter is bound by two chains and two guards with 16 guards taking turns watching over him, but the church is praying. And what you find out is that while they were praying, an angel shows up, and something happens to Peter's chains. They just literally fall off. Verse 7, Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. He said, quick, get up. And he said, and the the chains fell off of Peter's wrists. So while the the church is praying, an angel shows up and says, get up. And the chains fall off his wrist. Now, there is a difference between chains breaking and chains falling off. There are times where you've got to pray and you've got to believe God for what is happening in your life. Whatever your context is, whatever's happening in your life, you're praying and you're believing God. But I'm not sure if anyone here has ever been in this position, because I know I have, where you've prayed so much and things didn't turn around that you had to submit your prayer to the sovereignty of God. In other words, God, whatever you want to do, I'm tired, I don't know if I can pray anymore and so I'm just going to leave this in your hands. And by the way, that is not a bad place to be. Has anyone here ever had a bad day? Anyone here ever had a bad month? Has anyone here ever had a bad year? You know, some of you had a bad year last year. How many, is anyone here really glad that 2018 is gone? No, no, be more excited. 2018 is over. Anybody here just really excited 2018 is over, right? There are certain times where you pray and you're so tired of, of trying to contend for something and get breakthrough that you have to just release it to the Lord, and that's okay. But that doesn't mean that the church doesn't have to pray. That doesn't mean that when you're tired that the church can't pray for you and believe for the thing that you've submitted to the sovereignty of God. I've had people say to me, Pastor Doug, I'm just going to leave it in God's hands. I'm like, you go ahead and leave it in God's hands, but the church is going to pray. You, you can go ahead and you can do that because that's where you're at, but the, that doesn't mean that we, we shouldn't pray. So, the church has this responsibility to pray even when other people are burned out and tired and they can't pray for themselves. We're the burden barrier, we're the prayer carrier. We're the ones who stand in the gap for somebody else. It says that he was bound between two soldiers, chained to them with 16 other guards in the back of the prison because Herod knew that he had to do everything that he could do to keep Peter locked in because if I got him locked in, hey, then God can't move. But what he did not expect was for the church to start moving and the church to start praying because we are able to do things as a body that some people give up on on their own. See, that's the very definition of grace. The definition of grace is that Jesus came down to carry the heavy load for you. You can't carry your sin. You can't carry your mistakes, but Jesus can. I don't know how you feel or how any of you feel, but I know that I've made enough mistakes in my life. If I had to carry them my own, I would have been crushed under my own sin. But thank God that Jesus came and picked it up when I couldn't. Come on, nailed him to the cross so that I could come out of my own grave and I could do something for Jesus. This is how grace works. And so when somebody is hurting, they are struggling. The church came in. The Bible says, but the church was praying to God for him. There are some times when you have to get breakthrough from your change, but then there are other times when the church is praying and the chains just fall off. And you didn't have to do anything. You're just, just kind of chained by something and, and then the chains fall off. And you go, what happened? I've been working so hard. I've been praying so much. They just, they just fell off. They didn't chafe my wrist. I didn't have to pull against the wall. I didn't have to wrestle through, you know, two soldiers on each side of me. You're just sitting there, and your chains fall off. That's because the church was praying. The church's prayers are some of the most powerful prayers that exist in the kingdom of God. So he says, I want you to get up quickly. And he, he hit him in the side and woke him up, and the chains fell off. I remember a story just because I've been been you know chatting with family the last couple of days, I remember when my mother-in-law came home from Africa as a missionary. My mother-in-law was sick. At first they thought it was malaria, but they couldn't diagnose it. And one of the stories that my wife tells is when her father, uh, Bob, who was preaching at our church this morning, when Bob came in, pulled Donna and David into the living room to have a conversation with them because the doctor had said, unless there's a breakthrough, your mom isn't going to make it through the night. And so we have to have a conversation about what that means. My wife was just a young girl, but here's dad and two children having a conversation about having to go say goodbye to mom because she's not going to make it through the night because they don't know what's wrong with her. And so a man named Wendell Smith, a pastor of mine, decided that they weren't going to put up with that. So he calls a prayer meeting at the church. And they meet in the sanctuary about 9 o'clock, and they start praying. And they just keep praying. And they just keep praying. And they just keep praying. And And at midnight, Pastor Wendell stands up, and he says to the congregation, with with no idea of what is happening in the hospital, at midnight God speaks to him and said, it's done. It's done. You can all go home. So Wendell stands up and he says, the prayer meeting's over. Uh, she's going to get healed. God spoke to me. We're done. And, and it stopped at midnight. Now, when you get into the prisons in the Bible, there's always something happening at midnight. We call this midnight theology. And it starts with Moses and it goes all the way through the New Testament. You can study it. Midnight represents where one day is over and a new day has begun. Midnight means that the past is over. We're not looking towards the past. We have begun a new future. And at midnight, he says, we're done. We're going home. At that exact moment in the hospital, a doctor who just happened to be, to be there on some other assignment, who happened to be an expert in malaria... Heard about the case, came in and said, I want to take a look at this lady. Diagnosed her not with one kind of malaria, but with two kinds of malaria. So it was confusing the diagnosis. She immediately figures out what it is. About midnight, they begin to pump medication into her body. She wakes up and she's an amening my father-in-law this morning. And I got to marry her. Right? So, so but the, the church can pray. And, and while we're praying, people's chains just fall off. And when tired people can't pray anymore, their chains just fall off. When people don't want to, they don't want to keep fighting, the chains just fall off. What happens is that there are people who struggle constantly, and they're, they're fighting for something, and at a point, they just want to give up, and they want to submit it to the sovereignty of God, and that's fine. However, that doesn't mean that we can't pray. Verse 8, then the angel said to him, all right, I want you to put on your clothes. Now, you have to understand, he's, he's in the prison, and he's naked. So not only do they have 16 guards, two guards, two chains, but they've taken off his clothes and he's in the back of the prison and he doesn't have any, any clothes on because if, if the enemy can demoralize you, then God can't move. God moves when you're demoralized. God moves when you're chained. God moves when you're in the back of your prison. God moves when you don't see any way out. God moves when other people are looking at it and say, he's done, he's finished, God's still moving, but the church is praying. So he says, put on your clothes and sandals because, because and he's, a, he's a nice angel. He says, because you're gonna, in a minute you're going to be outside and you don't want to be naked. How many of you know that even the angel cared about Peter's reputation? And so Peter did so. He said, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And the angel told him, he said, so Peter followed him out of the prison. But he had no idea what the angel was doing or what was really happening. And he thought that he was seeing a vision. When God begins to move in your life, sometimes all you can do is submit yourself to what happens each day. In other words, if you've ever been in a spot where where things are out of your control, and you have to submit yourself to the control of someone else, or the control of the circumstance, you have to release the control of it, something happens, In your spirit, you just have to take it one day at a time. When I became a Christian, people were praying for me. Uh, In Oregon, I was living up in Seattle. People were praying for me, and they would send me messages to tell me that they were praying for me. And I'd be like, what a waste of time. But go ahead and pray. It says that when he got outside, he just woke up and the angel was gone, but he thought he was dreaming. See, there, there are times where you don't, you don't know what God's doing, so you just submit to it. So, hey, you want to pray for me? You go, go ahead and pray for me. Um, you know, I'm struggling with, with some kinds of substance abuse, and I'm sitting, on a, I'm sitting on a, at a table one time with some friends, and I, I feel I, like God's speaking to me. God says, you, you don't need to do that anymore. Don't do that anymore. So I just didn't do it anymore. And I, and I remember thinking I hadn't even been saved yet I just felt God's presence don't do that anymore I don't know what's going on I don't even know what that feeling was let's just not do that anymore not sure why that happened find a church I don't know if anyone's going to like me um, I'm not like anybody in the church it was hard for me not to just talk to people in the church and not cuss you know what I mean? People come up and say, hi, how are you? I'd say, well, how the heck are you? <laughs> I'm doing great today. Here's how I found my church. Because you, you don't know what's happening. I, I didn't even know if I was going to make it. I, this whole Christianity thing for me was, it was like a dream. I'd visit a couple of churches. I, I tried a couple of things out. I, I didn't even know what church really was. I went to a Catholic church, and, and I didn't know how to do anything there. And, and it weirded me out. And so I, I picked a guy as we're going into the church, and I followed him and I did everything that he did. And when he watered himself, I did that. When he knelt down, I did that. When he grabbed the little thing and, and he was watching, he began to recite things, and I didn't know what he was saying. And so I just picked something and mumbled it. And I'll tell you what I did, because I'll, I'll never forget it, because now I, I'm embarrassed. While he was saying, hail, hey, I was saying to all beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. <laughs> Wall beef patty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions, and a sesame seed bun. It was the spirit of McDonald's. Came all over me. They didn't know what to do. There there was a church up the street with a bell choir. And every Saturday morning, they would practice the bell choir. It drove me crazy. You know, it drove me nuts. So I thought, I'm going to go see the bell choir today. You know, finally, I moved back to Oregon. I leave all my friends, and I go back to Oregon. I'm sitting there on my first Sunday back in Oregon at my grandparents' house. I'm sleeping on the couch. I look out the window, and I see a guy driving down the road, and he pulls up in front of the house, and he gets out, and it was a friend of mine from high school named Alan. And I'm thinking, oh, no. He's the worst influence in my life. What am I going to say to Alan when he knocks on the door? He heard I'm back. If I go with Alan, my whole life's going to fall apart. So I start doing this speech, you know, and it's embarrassing. It's an embarrassing speech. You know, hey, Doug, I'll be like, hello, hello. I'm a Christian, no more bad stuff, you're bad, I'm now good, don't know what to say. I'm, I'm, I don't know, I've never done this in my life. I'm, I'm physically shaking as he, he knocks on the door. He knocks on the door and I'm like, oh, oh, He knocks on the door, I open the door, I said, Alan, what's up? He says, hey, he goes, he goes hey, look, before you say anything, I gotta, I, listen, he goes, before you say anything, I heard you were back in town. And I didn't even want to come see you today because there's something I got to tell you. He says, like, I became a Christian. And I I didn't even want to see you because I was afraid I'd get around you and backslide because you're the worst influence on my whole life. (laughs) And uh, he said, but God woke me up this morning. (laughs) God woke me up. I have no idea what's going on. Do you see what I'm saying? There's some times where you just have to trust God that he's guiding you through things and that the church is praying and things are going on that you can't see that are out of your control. And he says, God woke me up this morning. And by the way, he was, he was, he was a 250-pound linebacker. Like this is no small, like if he says go to church, you go to church. Right, but he says God woke me up and told me to come here and invite you to church. There, I'm done. That's my speech. I said, Alan. I said I got I got saved too. And he goes, and then he cussed. <laughs> no way. I said, wait. I got in this church and they took me to Bible Temple City Bible Church. And that's where I started to serve as a youth minister and a young adult pastor. And it was that moment at my door when I have no idea what's going on. It's that moment. That's the reason why I'm here in your moment. You see, you have no idea what God has in store. That's why God says, no eye can see. No mind can conceive. No ear can hear what I've got in store for you. Because we love each other. I've got a plan for you. But you don't know what is happening The angel comes along and says, put some clothes on. That's a really good idea. Now, you're going to wake up outside. It's going to be gone. You're going to be standing there trying to figure out what's next. But what's important is that you understand that God's got his hand on you through the whole thing. You just may not know it yet, but God knew exactly what he was doing. The angel said, put on your sandals and put on your clothes. So he did it. He wrapped his cloak around him. He had no idea what was happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. Verse 10. They passed through the first gate and the second guard, and they came to the iron gate leading to the city, and it opened by itself. When the church prays, there are gates and doors that you've been trying to walk through, that you've been fighting against. There are people here that you need doors to open for you, and our responsibility is to pray for those doors, because the doors will open by themselves. See, the chains fall off by themselves. The guards don't even notice that you're there, and then the gates open all on their own. This is kind of how I believe Christianity is supposed to be. Not always. Like, there's fighting involved. There's wrestling involved. But I think if the church would learn to pray more, a few chains would fall off, a few more doors would open, and a few more guards would be blinded. You see, what happens is that when you've got guards, you've got gates, and you've got chains, Chains are, are, are something that we don't believe that can even be broken off of us sometimes. We struggle with it. But when the church prays, it happens. Guards are those people that are meant to keep you in the place that you're at. Now, can I just say something? Uh, there are some people in your life that will try to keep you in the place that you're at because they don't have the faith for what it is you're believing for. You've got to put yourself around people who believe in who you are and what you're doing. Why was it that Peter? I have no idea what time it is. Does the Holy Spirit know? He does. It is 8:40. It is. It is 10:48. So, oh, 11:40. I was. That was a joke. Just trying to get you stressed. Um, there. There is a. You put yourself around people who believe in you. See, Peter was a a part of a group of guys who got to meet with Jesus in a room after he was resurrected. You have to be around people who relate to Jesus in the resurrection so that you have a resurrection perspective on your prison. Because if you have a resurrection perspective on your prison, your chains fall off. If you have a, maybe Jesus is going to come out of the grave, or maybe he's not, we're still unsure, then the prison gets darker and deeper, and they add more guards. But you need to put yourself around a group of people who actually relate to Jesus in the resurrection. Those, those apostles were meeting with Jesus, and before the resurrection, all they were was a bunch of drama people. It was all drama. Who do you love more? Jesus Where's the money? I don't like him. I don't like them. I don't like people who aren't like me. The entire New Testament is Jesus managing the drama of the apostles. He comes out of the grave in Acts chapter 1. He walks in and goes, let's have a little meeting for the next 40 days. And we're going to talk about how to build the kingdom of God. But he did it in a resurrected body. Can you imagine meeting with Jesus in a resurrected body to have a church growth seminar? He's got holes in his hands and holes in his sides. And they're just sitting there, and he's just pouring out of his resurrection. There's no more drama. There's no more arguing. Because out of that, Acts chapter 1, verse 8 would come. And he says, I want you to be witnesses for me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the uttermost parts of the earth. And they're all going to give up their lives. They're all going to be martyred. Peter's going to be crucified upside down. But they changed the whole world. But if you want to change the world, you want to come out of those prayers. you got to put yourself around people who don't guard you and keep you in, but they walk you out like an angel. See, so you've got guards, you've got gates, and you've got chains. When the church is praying, the chains fall off by themselves. The guards can't see you as you move towards your destiny and the gates open all on their own. This is the the spirit of freedom and how freedom is supposed to work in our lives. But the church has a responsibility to pray. And so I'm gonna wrap this up. I want you to go ahead and stand to your feet real quick, and uh, we're gonna pray for some people this morning. And I'll, I'm just gonna believe that there's some people here that need the church to pray for them. And there's some stuff here that we can see broken or removed from your life, okay? So can everybody just bow your head for a moment? Is who in the room this morning, who's here and needs the church to pray for them? You're here and you know that you need the church to pray because you're tired. Because you prayed a lot, things aren't changing, things aren't breaking off, and you need someone to stand in the gap and to pray to God for you. If that is you, please lift your hand. Whatever it is that you're going through, whatever struggle that you're having, this is the spirit of our fast, which is help people get free from things that they're struggling with. Keep your hands lifted just for a minute. I'm going to believe for you, and I'm going to pray for you. I'd actually like to have everyone with their hands lifted to come on down to the front with me. I don't know what your normal flow is, but I want to pray for you as you walk down here. I want you to just see yourself walking past the guards, chains falling off and gates opening. I want, I want you to feel this in your spirit. I want God to lift something off of your life. I want God to move for you. I don't want you to struggle with it. I want you to rest in the grace and the peace and the love of Jesus this morning. Can we all lift our hands? Come on, lift your hands up to Jesus. Father, this morning, I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Jesus for what you are doing in these people's lives i thank you father that the chains right now are literally falling off because the church is praying church i want you to pray with me i want you to pray right now for someone down here out loud i want you to begin to pray father in the name of jesus i pray for these folks I pray, Lord, that the chains would fall off. I pray, Lord, that their life would be changed. I pray, Father, that whatever it is that they have brought to this altar, Lord, we lay it at your feet. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. Father, I'm so uh, excited, Father, for the goodness of God that is in their life. I pray that gates would open. I pray that guards would not see them as they walk out. I pray, Father, for the anointing of the Holy Spirit this morning to come and to touch their life. Father, I thank you for every person at this altar. Jesus, I thank you for what you're doing in their life. We are praying to God for them. Father, this morning, every chain, Father, every bondage, Lord, every struggle, Lord, there are, there are uh, spouses praying for the other spouse here. There are parents praying for their children there are grandparents praying for their grandchildren and father this morning we just declare the goodness of god and the strength of god and the freedom of god lord from the from the beginning to the end lord i thank you for what you're doing in every prayer at this altar this morning come on church pray. say this with me i want the church to say this say lord jesus say it again say lord jesus thank you father for chains breaking and doors opening Thank you, Father, that you're guiding me through and the chains fall off all by themselves. Jesus, this morning, I'm so grateful that you have forgiven me of all my mistakes. And today, Father, I give you my life. In Jesus' name, amen.